Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son. She was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said, Do not weep. He came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Nain was a little village about seven miles from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, which was also a little village. Two tiny little places, about 250 people in each. <clears throat> Luke says Jesus had gone over to Capernaum and went to Nain from the Sea of Galilee. That'd be about a 15-mile walk. He and his disciples are just going into the gate of this little town when suddenly they're confronted, met head-on by a funeral procession. A young man has died. His body's being taken outside the walls of the little town so that he can be buried. Service is over at the synagogue. It's time to bury him. This is the story Luke tells us. It's a story only Luke tells us. Matthew, Mark, John do not have this story. Luke is obviously trying to tell us some very important things about Jesus and about us. Let's take a look. Number one, Dr. Robert Tonnehill has a two-volume commentary on the works of Luke, both his gospel and the book of Acts, and he says Luke is a master of pathos. Pathos, a Latin word meaning Feelings, emotions, understandings. We have a word sympathy, sympathos, to feel what another's feeling, to understand what another is understanding. Dr. Fred Craddock says, Jesus' whole attention is focused on this young woman, young with a young son she's burying, a young adult to be sure, she's already a widow, and Luke knows that everybody in his world understands a woman in that first century without a husband, a widow now, without a son, dead now, her only son, she is absolutely defenseless. She is one of those who have no means of support. It's gone. Jesus focuses on her. He says he was moved with compassion. Compassion is not sympathy. They are two very different words in Latin. In Latin, cum... Passeri has to do with suffering. We talk about the last week of Jesus' life, the week of his passion, his suffering. So it means not only that he felt for her, literally he suffered with her. He suffered with her in her grief. Luke is telling us a story so similar to an experience in the life of Elijah. Elijah, second most important revealer of God in the Hebrew Scriptures. Number one was Moses, number two, Elijah. David was a great military leader, a king to whom they looked up for centuries. 
But when they talk about religious leaders, Moses, then Elijah. Elijah, who will come back just before Messiah. John the baptizer, seen by some as the Elijah, coming just before Messiah. Elijah, who had the courage to stand and point a finger into the face of King Ahab of the northern tribes called Israel. Ahab and his pagan heathen wife named Jezebel, and saying, you are the worst king we've ever had. And because of you and the wrong you've done, God is going to close up the heavens and it will not rain for years. And Ahab said, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah ran. Wouldn't be the last time. After he defeated the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel, he would get that word again. Jezebel said, she's going to deal with you. And he ran again. But this time when he ran, God told him exactly where. I want you to go to the Wadi Kareth. The Wadi Kareth. Wadi, Wadi. We know that word. Here in Oklahoma, we might call it an arroyo or a gulch. Uh, it, it's a creek bed that's dry in the dry season and then may run full if there's a heavy rain. The first five times we'd gone to Israel, we'd always gone in the summertime, and it was ungodly hot and dry. And then last year we went in February up at the Sea of Galilee. We took our group to remember their baptism right where the Sea of Galilee begins again, the Jordan River. Thunder and lightning, it was pouring down rain on us. When we got to Jerusalem later, woke up every morning. The streets were wet. They'd had a shower during the night. It's a different world. Five months rain, seven months no rain. And the seven come together. So the Wadi Kareth would have no rain. But you know what God said? Elijah, you're my man. You go to the Wadi Kareth. We know where it is. The Wadi Kareth, a tiny little tributary that feeds into the Jordan River, just five or six miles north of Jericho. Jericho's right on the northernmost banks of the Dead Sea. It's even drier down there. But God said, in the Wadi Kareth, you can hide from Ahab and Jezebel. I have more work to do, but right now I will send the ravens to bring you food and a spring of water. I will take care of you. God suffers with God's people. Elijah, you're suffering, I'm with you. This widow woman, I'm suffering with you. I'm focused on you. I'm seeing no one at this moment but you, but you in your suffering. Number two, as you read along with me in Luke's gospel, we're going to cover almost every part of it this year. We'll discover that here in the seventh chapter, this is the first time Luke has himself written And the Lord came. The Lord? Wow, what an important word that is. The Lord. It's the word we have in gold letters up there in the north end of our great hall in the mosaic. It's the word we have in gold letters in the south end of the great hall in Greek, in Hebrew. The name. The name given to Moses at the burning bush the name used of Jesus to say, the one at the burning bush who sent Moses back to Egypt. When Moses said, I know Pharaoh, there's no way he's going to let your people go. God said, oh, yes, he will. 
I will deliver plague upon plague upon him until he says, Go! It took ten of them, those plagues. But Pharaoh finally got there and said, Go! And they went. To say that one was present in Jesus of Nazareth in a way he had never been in a human being? That's where Luke is. That's where he wants you to be. The Lord Jesus. The Lord. Dr. Carol Zaleski is a professor at Smith College. She has written that just after she brushes her teeth every night as she's on the way to her bed, she sees a photograph of an icon from a Russian Orthodox artist. This icon is called Anastasis. Now, Anastasis is the descent into hell. What it is? The descent into hell. Now, you know that in the Apostles' Creed, some of the earliest versions say that after Jesus died, he descended into hell. Then he ascended into heaven and sit at the, at the right hand of God. Well, this word for hell is not the word Gehenna, which referred to that valley which held all the city dump of Jerusalem that burned all the time. This is the word Hades. And the word Hades means dampness and darkness. Same as the word Sheol in Hebrew, the place where Jesus' body was placed in a tomb, a real tomb, not ever used before, stone rolled over the face. Jesus descended into dampness and darkness of death. But in this icon, Jesus is standing over another figure extending the hand, and this other figure is the Adama. Adam. It's Adam. From the moist Adama, God scooped up a handful and flopped it down on the potter's wheel and made an Adam. And Homo sapien chose to trust a talking snake instead of the Almighty, and humans were sentenced to die. That we would live, and then we would die. And every Ash Wednesday, if you come to the services, we have one of our ministers put that cross mark on your forehead, on mine too. From dust you came to dust you shall return. But here is Jesus, the Messiah of God, hand extended to Homo sapien, to Adam. Would you like to come out of dampness and darkness to light? Would you like to move from death into life? Once you scurried into the dark because your deeds were evil, but the true light has come into the world and darkness has never been able to put it out, wouldn't you like to move out of the dark into light? If, in fact, God Almighty is and was present in Jesus of Nazareth, he extends the hand to all of you, us one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Jesus walked over and touched the casket. Our translation here uses the word beer, same word, B-I-E-R. Touched the casket. Those who were carrying it, stop. And Jesus said, young man, rise up. 
rise up. It's the same word used of a paralytic. Luke, in his use of pathos, has told us three times about young people who are sick or dying, and he said, her only son, his only daughter, her only son. When Luke describes the sick, he said, six, twelve years, sick, eighteen years. He's a master of pathos, Tonahill says. But now he uses the word he used of that paralytic. You've been brought down here to the pool of Siloam all these years. Would you like to be well? Would you like to be well? Rise up. Get up. Be well. Be strong. Walk. Walk. Be well. Rise up, young man. There's a very popular movie in France right now whose title would be translated into English as The Untouchables. It has nothing to do with Elliot Ness, nothing to do with prohibition. It's about two people. It's a real story, a true story. A wealthy young man in Paris named Philippe, who's had the best that life could offer him. A wealthy mom and dad who sent him to the very best schools, bought him the very best clothes. He's run with the cream of Paris society. But he's adventuresome. He decides to try parasailing. There's a terrible accident, neck broken, quadriplegic. The family needs somebody to tend him. He cannot even take care of himself and his bodily functions. They need somebody who's willing to do the grimiest, dirtiest jobs you can imagine. So they go down to the projects in Paris. And they find a young African... In real life, he came from Algeria, northernmost coast of Africa. He's gotten into crime. All he's ever known is poverty, hunger, want. He served time in prison. He's been an ex-con. He finally gets across the Mediterranean, the Straits of Gibraltar, makes his way all the way to Paris. He's living in one of the projects. Virtually no hope. He's hired to take care of Philippe. But Philippe wants to go to the opera. So Driss has to push him in a wheelchair. He wants to go hear the symphony. Driss has to push him in a wheelchair. He wants to go again to the Louvre and see all these beautiful paintings. Driss has to push him. So the movie, the real-life story, is about a young man transformed. That's the word the reviewer used in the Wall Street Journal. Driss is transformed. Paul said, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the reviewer in the Wall Street Journal said, But you can't be transformed if you're not open to change. Are you willing to change? Rise up. Rise up. The one has come who can bring meaningful change to you. Number four. People frightened. 
This is not unusual in the Bible. Whenever God gets too close to folks, they get scared. Dr. Craddock said it's like standing under one of those high-voltage electric wires you can hear humming up over your head. Start a standing awe. One of the translations doesn't say they were seized by fear. It says they stood in awe. But after a moment of silence, they start screaming, A great prophet has come among us, a great prophet. But others said, The Lord, name it the burning bush, has come to visit his people. Dr. Craddock says there are lots of preachers running around. And lots of writers in the first century that said, when the Lord comes, you better hide under the nearest rock. But not Luke. Luke says, nothing better could ever happen to you than the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming was to do good things always. God wants good to come to you. Our Wesleyan Methodist Church is about grace, grace. I mentored 20 interns from Perkins a whole year, 12 months each one. After the 20, I said, I've done mine. That's it for me. Because it took a lot of time and energy with those 20. But I would counsel them just at the end of the year. When you go before the Board of Ordained Ministry, if you get all confused somehow, just start talking about grace because they'll love it. That's who we Methodists are. We are the grace-filled people. I tell couples I'm marrying who are moving. I married a couple last night. They're going to Dallas. I said, you find you a church where the preacher does not beat up on you every Sunday. If the preacher is beating up on you every Sunday, you're in the wrong place. This is about good news. It's about good news. I talk about sin sometimes because the book talks about sin, but it will never be point three and four. (laughs) Ever. When we get to three and four, we're going to have good news because that's what the book is finally about. It's about good news. God wants good things to happen to you. Dr. Fred Craddock says, when he was still teaching at Canner School of Theology, Emory University, Georgia. He was invited to preach a weekend series at a small country church. He said, I'd told them I couldn't come during the week. I had too big a workload teaching all my seminary students. They said, well, how about Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday? He said, I'll do that. So he said, I drove out to this little town on Friday afternoon late, found the church, and as I drove up looking for the preacher, I saw a funeral was just being concluded. They were moving the casket into the hearse. The preacher motioned to me. I said, yes. Motioned me over, introduced me to the grieving widow. Said her husband had been killed in a car wreck, leaving her and four children. Dr. Craddock said, "I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she said, we won't be back tonight but we'll be here tomorrow night and Sunday morning. Dr. Craddock said, Oh, you, you don't need to. You do and she said, We need to. And he said, Well, what I meant was uh, 
you've had a hard, hard week, and we would all understand. And she said, it has been hard. But this is our church. And tomorrow night and Sunday morning, we need them to know we're okay.